This week we're continuing our series, our theme of engaging God's Word. We're going to dive right in. Um, we're just knowing that God's doing something, amen? I, I like coming to church when you're going, man, I wonder what God's going to do today. It'd be just perfectly all right with me um, if the Lord would just do whatever He wanted and take over and have His way. That's fine with me. Let's go. So don't ever feel like, well, the preacher got, mm, Jesus can say more in a couple of moments in our lives than the preacher can say in a, uh, the rest of our lifetime. Amen? All it takes is one moment. I'm not saying we don't need God's Word and we don't need teaching. Don't mistake me. We need to encounter the living Lord. Amen? So anytime that uh, the Lord's up to that, I'm perfectly fine with that. Now, this topic of engaging God's Word, I, I'm sure is one that we could stay with for years because it's just so rich. In fact, it's what the whole thing should be about, living out what we have found God's Word to say, amen? That's the Christian life, taking the words of Scripture and of Jesus and putting them into practice in our lives. That's what it's all about. Uh, we could spend also a ton of time dealing with, let's just be honest, the negative consequences that the Bible says happens if we don't do that. Because the Bible has that in there too, right? I think that's probably a pretty viable parenting approach, if we're honest. Remind your child that if they keep doing that, whatever it is, they're going to spend the rest of their lives in jail and never get to see their sweet mama's face. But if we constantly are dwelling on the negative side of things, then probably we live a pretty negative life at home. We've got to move past that. So I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying. Yeah, the Bible is full is full of, of don't do this and here's why consequence moments. And I understand that. I get it that the Bible says there's consequences if we fall short of God's grace. It's there. It's plain for all of us to see. And let's be honest, the church as a whole is really known for that stance. Okay? Let's spend some time today, though. There's a hell to be shunned. Amen? But in the shunning of hell, there's a heaven to be gained. So today we're going to spend a little bit more time pressing into that. I don't want it to be everything always to ever be doom and gloom because the Bible's not full of it that way. So today we're going to start a few weeks in this Engaging God's Word discussion and we're going to spend it talking about the benefits that are found in the overflowing life that's fully engaged in God's Word. So that's, that's where we're headed. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephes uh, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 103, put a marker over in Matthew chapter number 8. So we're going to be in Psalms 103 first. It'll be on your screens because I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Have you ever noticed that the Bible's full of benefits? It's full of good stuff for us. It's, it's, it's there. Let's spend some time talking about that, all right? Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Beautiful passage. It's good stuff, amen? It's good stuff, what God wants to do. Now, David lists some benefits here that are for us today. And we're going to look at these. He lists five things, okay? Forgiveness, healing, redemption, crowning or blessing, and satisfaction. Now, in the listing of these five things, basically think of it this way. There's one for all five work days. 
Then we have a day of Sabbath that we're to rest to the Lord. And then we have a, a day that we to gather together as the church and corporately worship him for all that he's done. Okay, so think of it in that terms. In these five verses, he laid us out a really good week's structure, all right? These five benefits, five. Now look at your neighbor and say there's five. Okay, now and I know some of you are never going to raise your hands. I get it. But you can at least talk to your neighbor, okay? Maybe you're going to be the one that's going to keep them from going to sleep, okay? Just look up and say five. All right, there you go. Yeah, now we're talking. All right, five things that he gave us, five beautiful things. But here's the thing. David doesn't just start in listing off these five things. First thing he says is in order to not forget what God's done, we begin by blessing the Lord with everything that, that's within us. So before we forget not, we praise first. We praise first. Again, verse three, uh, verse, ver, very beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O, o my soul. Uh, other verses say, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let all that I am, everything within me. And when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, it's not just about did you sing the right note in the song. It's about everything that we are. Did you praise the Lord when uh, uh, your husband stepped on your toes uh, this morning and accidentally smushed your toe because he didn't realize that you were standing so close? Did you bless the Lord in that? Did you bless the Lord when you got cut off in driving and in traffic or when somebody was driving just way too slow? Bless the Lord. Now, the word here, bless, or pr that's translated depending on your, your translation, bless or praise, it's one of seven words in the Old Testament that are used for praise and worship. Seven words that are translated praise and worship unto God, okay? And the word here in the Hebrew is the word Barak, not Obama. Just because you see Barack in the Hebrew doesn't mean that we're talking about the, the former president. Just like when you see Trump of God in the New Testament, it's not saying it's talking about President Trump, okay? That's not what, what we're after here, okay? This is not a political message. So, it's a verb. This word Barack is a verb. Verbs are action words. We all remember this from grade school English, right? They're action words. They're something that we do. We put them into practice. And it's a word that means to speak words of excellence, to speak words of excellence, to say good and kind and noble things, words of excellence. Now, let's be honest, it's easy to speak words of excellence about somebody when we're happy with them or if it makes us look good, right? Come on, let's be honest for just a minute. That's the easy time, right? When we've just been given the perfect gift from that loved one for our birthday or for a holiday, it's easy to speak words of excellence about them, huh? Maybe it sounds a little something like this. Oh, honey, you are just the sweetest. You're the best. How did you know that this was the perfect gift for me? How could I ever love you more? Right? I mean, this sounds, that's, that's when you know it's a good day, right? When your honey is talking to you that way. But let's be honest, maybe the week before, it might have sounded just a little bit different. Maybe, maybe it was like this, oh, honey, you shouldn't have waited so long to give this to me. Maybe it was like, you're the best at being a lazy bum who doesn't do anything around here. <laughs> yeah, my favorite one might be, 
This is the perfect gift to keep that frying pan from going upside your head. Right? I mean, come on. We, we, we all been there. Okay, when, when David wrote this, this psalm, when David penned the, these words, it was a season more like the latter. It wasn't sunny. It wasn't rosy. It was not an easy time for him. In fact, David wrote this psalm right after Nathan the prophet's visit to confront him for murder and adultery and the cover-up that went with it. That's when David penned this, okay? Because David here, he confesses and he repents to God of of all that he's done, uh, but God still brings consequences on the child that was born from the adultery. Theologians believe that there was a seven-day window that the Bible says from the time that the consequences came to the baby until it died, and in those seven days, David fasted and prayed. He wouldn't have anything to eat. His servants could bring him stuff, and they would do nothing. And after the baby dies, David gets up, washes his face, and then begins to eat. And they said, why do you eat now that the baby has died? Because there's nothing left to do. God has done what God saw best is what David says. So it's in these seven days that he's pleading with God not to take the baby, not to visit the consequences of his sin on the child, that he writes and pins this passage. I wanna, I'm telling you all of that because I want to I set up the rest of this sermon on the premise that you do not wait. You cannot wait until all of the circumstances are just right to praise God. You can't wait until it's all, all perfect and the blessings of God are flowing uh, uh, and God's goodness is apparent to then praise God. You see, that's, that's the easy time. It's easy to praise God when somebody's just dumped a ton of money in your lap, but what did you do the day before? It's easy to praise God when the doctor's giving you a good health report, but what did you do the day before? He says we've got to praise and give excellence when it's not the easiest. So we've got to not wait. In the midst of our darkest hour, praise the Lord. In the midnight hour, praise and worship the Lord. Before you see the turnaround come, praise the Lord. I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Because it's easy to do it when life is good. What about when life is terrible? Praise the Lord. When it's terrible, when life is rough, when everything is crashing down around you, when temptation is at the strongest to give up and you feel overwhelmed, that's when you stop and praise the Lord. You want to get out of the funk you've been living in? You want to quit giving in to the sin you've been living with? Praise the Lord. Every day, when you get up and you feel tempted, begin to praise God for all of the benefits that he's given you, all of the blessings. Now, when I was a kid, my mom used to sing this song when she would lead music. And it's a song that, as a drummer, drove me crazy. Right? You guys know where I'm going, don't you? Because you've heard me tell a little bit about this. And it was a song that had this, in musical terms, a fermata. Not a fermented something, a fermata. And it meant you held the note. And so she would get to go and count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has. has Done. 
And then you had to go back to speed and tempo. Well, there was no tempo left, right? But baby, did that word still stick in my ear. Count your many blessings. Count them. Name them one by one. But you know what's really hard to do? Thank an all-powerful God when he seems to have forgotten the suffering you're living in. That's when we praise him the most. We're not going to be good at remembering all of God's blessings if we don't praise him first. Now listen, I'm about to go to the second row and amen myself. I have amen myself all week when I start preaching through this part and been praying through it and thinking through it. And this is not a, a hoax to try to get you to do something that you don't want to do. I want us to grab a hold of what God's doing and affirm it by saying amen, so be it. I apply, God, I want that in my life. We've got to praise the Lord regardless of what's happened in life. Now listen, when we praise the Lord, it shouldn't be some little mousy cry for help out of desperation. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. No, 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 no. It should be this boisterous war cry from deep within that says praise the Lord in spite of my circumstance, in spite of the doctor's report, in spite of what has come my way, I will praise the Lord whether I got the job or not. Whether there's more bills than there is month, I will bless and praise the Lord because he has been good to me. I'm gonna praise the Lord. So we have to begin with praise the Lord. We begin with praise because praise is what unlocks our heart and opens our memory to what God has done and blessed us with in the past, amen? All of God's miraculous benefits are found, but if we won't praise him for who he is, he ain't gonna give it to us. Let me just be honest. Praise the Lord. When we begin with praise, we don't forget his benefits, and we get to see firsthand and up close and personal the greatest, most miraculous benefit that we have as believers. And that's forgiveness. The greatest thing God has ever done in our lives is forgive us. You know what? You know who deserved forgiveness? Nobody. Do you know who he chose to forgive? Everybody. Everybody. In verse 3, it says, Who forgives all your iniquities. Who forgives all your iniquities. Now, if you have a, a modern translation, it's called a dynamic equivalent translation, it's a thought-for-thought thought translation of the Bible. And so most of those translations, New Living Translation, NIV, um, HCSB, the Christian Standard Bible, they're all going to say, who forgives your sins? And that's fine. They take the thought, and this is what it says. Uh, other translations, like the ESV, the New King James, the NAS, New American Standard, they're a word-for-word word translation, not thought-for-thought. Thought. So in the word-for-words, it will say iniquity like we read here in the ESV. I specifically chose to use the ESV to highlight that. Because if yours says sins, that's fine. Iniquity means sin. But it does not convey the depth of what's underneath. It means sin, but it's like saying it's... Is someone rich or are they loaded? You see what I'm saying? Like there's some people, they're rich. All of us in the room, let's be honest, according to world standards are rich. You make more than a dollar a day. 
by American standards, hmm, then you know people like, you go from rich to loaded. And they're the people that you're like, I want to be like them. Rich people are not loaded. That's a whole nother level. That's like Steve Jobs, like Microsoft, like Steve Bezos, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Those guys, wow, whole nother level, right? But if you applied the same term to us and to them, it doesn't convey the depth, does it? On world standards, we're all rich. Those guys are a whole nother level. When he says here iniquity, it's just not the full depth of what's there. When we think of, of sin, we think of it in New Testament terms, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and missed uh, and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, sin means literally to miss the mark. It's a, a term that comes out of uh, the medieval time period. You know, you see those movies where they have the, the archery contests, right? And so they've got the, the, the uh, target on the other end of the, of the highway. You see a guy draw back his bow, lets the arrow go, and somehow this thing flies forever, and it lands on the target. Well, not everybody was that good. So if they missed the mark, the marksman or the, the marker fellow at the end, he would step out and he would wave a flag and yell, sin, that you had missed the mark, you had missed the target, what you were sh shooting at. So when it says... He forgives all my sins. It just doesn't convey like iniquity does because iniquity is a whole different animal in and of itself because iniquity, it goes a whole lot farther. David wasn't saying, hey, God, I'm so glad you, you forgive me for missing the mark. I, I know I shouldn't have committed adultery. You know, it's probably not a good thing to have done. And I mean, I know I murdered Uriah, but he probably would have died in war anyway. So it's really not that big a deal. That, that, that's kind of missing the mark, right? It's just a little bit off. No. What he's saying here is you forgive my iniquity, the pre-planned wicked and evil that I commit because of a sinful internal bent that I have towards a particular sin. Here's the truth. God's forgiveness covers over the most wicked of all of our behaviors if we bring it to him. David knew that firsthand. David had just confessed to murder, to cover up an adulterous affair that was only disclosed because she got pregnant. God brought it all out and he said, enough's enough. And David is saying, you forgave that. My evil, wicked motives. The problem is David was never where he should have been that day. He was supposed to be off at war. And then he goes out on his balcony at the time that everybody goes to bathe and is viewing pornography as the king. Let's make it real simple and plain. He's viewing pornography, sees a woman that he wants, sins for her and says, I'm the king, I can deserve to have that. And causes it to happen. Now he's got to go into full-blown cover-up mode. Now when was the last time our lives reflected something like that? No fear of God in our behavior. That's what iniquity is. This internal terrible desire that we carry out and commit, we pre-plan, we premeditate. If we were to take it to a court of law, you'd be convicted of murder one, premeditated. You'd get the death sentence. That's what he says God forgives. God forgives our iniquity, our pre-plan, our, our wickedness that we commit that's completely uh, devoid of God's work in our life. The problem with most of us is we don't want to get down to that level. God will forgive it if we'll bring it. 
Yet here, in, in the midst of all of that, we see David naming the very first benefit of God as his willingness to forgive his complete and total uh, uh, iniquities. Everything that was there, the complete and total forgiveness of God was given. Ironically, you fast forward to the New Testament and you see Jesus forgive the same way, right? Jesus is up on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 24. He's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He is looking down on the soldiers and all of the people that are there to attest to his crucifixion. And you know what he's saying? These people hate my guts. They hate me so much, they came to watch me die. God, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know. They don't get it yet. It's not been, been caught up with them. Jesus is only giving a pattern of what he said when he preached. He's demonstrating it, right? Because he's modeling what he taught there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you forgive people who do you wrong, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Wouldn't it be beautiful to stop there? Forgive them and God's going to forgive you. The next verse starts with that terrible word. But. If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Nice if we could take some white out to that verse, huh? Well, Jesus, why did you put that in there? It was great. You had a great teaching on how to pray, and then you got to go and tell us if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. Why, Lord, you could have done something else. The truth is we have to allow forgiveness to be applied to our lives completely. It's one of, if not the greatest benefits and blessings in all of Scripture, amen? The fact that God forgave me and you, Man, it supersedes everything else, and that's what it says he did. He gave us that. But it's not a benefit that we're to keep to ourselves. It's one we're supposed to pass along to everybody else. Passing it on to others, let's be honest, is where the second, the second huge benefit happens in our lives. Because not only are we placed in right standing with God when we forgive, when we demonstrate that and live that out, but we also see, we're placed in right standing, but the second part kicks in because when we forgive someone else by letting them off the hook, we open the doors to the prisons that have held us captive. When you open the door, when you forgive, you're opening your own prison doors. Do you know what bitterness is? Have you ever been bitter at somebody else? Well, let me see a show of hands of how, you who will be honest. You've been bitter at somebody else. If I could get both feet up in the air, I'd do that too. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is swallowing a poison and hoping it kills the other person. That's what bitterness is. I am so angry. It just goes down deep. And the whole time you're hoping that it takes effect on them and it doesn't work that way. Forgiveness opens our doorway and lets us out. It frees both of us so that we can live and fulfill God's plan for our lives. So receive God's forgiveness, but give it away because it is a benefit of the Lord that's beautiful and amazing. But when we talk about all of God's benefits, we have to forget not. We have to praise the Lord first so that we can remember his forgiveness and also so we can celebrate his healing. Celebrating his power to heal is a huge thing, right? Now, you know me. I, I, I like 
for all of the points to start with the same letter? This one has killed me all week. I can't find a word for healing that starts with an F. I just couldn't do it. So, healing. Two F's and an H. Sorry, maybe that'll help you remember it. I don't know. It's the one time the preacher couldn't come up with another F word. I don't know. I'm going to leave that alone. I can't believe I just said that. Thank God I get to edit the podcast, okay? Okay, making a mental note of the time. All right. Healing. The end of verse 3 says this, that he heals all of our diseases. Who heals all of our diseases? Again, remember, David's writing this at a time that his child is ill and is going to die. He's not writing this or expressing it on the other side of having received the healing that he was praying for. All the way through the process. All the way through it, right? When we need healing, before we need healing, after we've been healed, we thank God and praise him for the divine benefit that we get from him. It's for today. It's for my life. It's available to everybody. Amen? We believe in divine healing. We believe that it is for today. Even when we've not seen it come to pass, that doesn't mean that God is not able. Whether we've seen it proven out or not, it's for us. It's for today. Now, maybe there's some of you here today and you'd say, but pastor, what does the Bible say about healing? Well, I want to show you because I want us to all be on the same page before we pray. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, most famous writing on healing in the, in, the, in the Bible, it's there, it's true, it's proven out, it's where we draw from, it's what Jesus drew from, and we're going to see it. It says in verse 4, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. Verse 5 is where it gets good. But he was pierced because of our transgressions crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And what? We are healed by his wounds. Now, there are some who will say when you put these two verses in the context of the chapter, it's not about physical healing for today. They'll say that this in context is about the healing of our spirit to be in right standing with God. Okay. If you'd like to limit God's word to that, that is just fine. That's your business. But let me tell you, you're missing out, and and I would say you're failing to see how the gospel's tied it into healing. Because Jesus sure did. I had you put a marker in Matthew chapter 8. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 8. Because in Matthew chapter 8, it tells us some really cool stuff that Jesus did with this verse. It starts in verse 14. It says that when Jesus went into Peter's house, he saw that his mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. He could have left her. It was Peter's mother-in-law. Peter may have not wanted him to heal her. I don't know. Nevertheless, so he touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself 
took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. That is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter number 53. It's a direct quote, and here Jesus is affirming that in his life. Here's the problem. Some people say this, oh, but that was just Jesus demonstrating that he was the Messiah. That's the only reason he needed to do miracles was to prove that he was sent by God. Well, I'm sorry, but it doesn't get any clearer than this. With Matthew writing, tying Isaiah's words to Jesus' action, that he brought healing to them that day. The Bible then goes on in other places and says, you know what? What Jesus did, we're to do the same thing, right? That's what Scripture teaches. Others say that this passage in Matthew, uh, it's just Jesus proving who he was. Okay, fine. You want to limit God to that? Again, that's all as far as God's benefits go. That's your business. But that's not where the Bible stops. Because the Bible goes on and says, after Jesus ascended to heaven, after he left the young, fledgling church to fulfill the same mission that we today are still fulfilling, that there were healings that were recorded. In the book of Acts, there's all kinds of healings mentioned. Not by Jesus. Jesus didn't do those healings, right? Jesus is not the one in Acts chapter 3 that was walking with Peter and, uh, Peter and John when they went to the temple gate beautiful and pulled the lady up who was sick. He wasn't there. He wasn't there uh, physically in Acts chapter 5 when they brought all of the sick people and the demon possessed to them and they were all healed. It was done in Jesus' name, but physically he wasn't the one laying hands on them. It was the disciples and other believers. In Acts chapter 7, it talks about Stephen when they made him one of the deacons and it says that Stephen was a man full of faith, full of power, who God had performed extraordinary miracles through. God used him, somebody who was not one of the disciples. In fact, Stephen was a man who had to research who Jesus was, and yet God used him. The point is, it wasn't just for Jesus and the disciples. And in fact, and lastly, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul's writing and he's telling them, hey, this is the way you deal with the church. Here's how the administration's going to work. Chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. It's about administration in the church. In chapter 12, Three different times, Paul mentions the gift of healing in verse number 9, in verse 28, and in verse number 30. Three different times. Friends, if we clung to only scriptural teaching, that would be enough to convince me. You know how I know healing is for today beyond that? I've been healed. I've experienced it. Personally, in my own body, I've experienced it. I've experienced it praying for people in the altars and seeing uh, some of our, our little old ladies who uh, were headed in for cataract surgery. Sister Violet McMullen headed for cataract surgery on Monday morning because she could barely see. Pray for her on Sunday night and God completely heal her in that moment. Goes to the doctor the next day and says, well, I don't know how we missed it so bad, but you don't need surgery. Doc, you didn't miss it so bad. The, other, the main doctor, the perfect physician, already went there and did the work. Friends, it's for today. We could give you story after story. We could go around the room and get story after story of how healing is for today. But friends, we've got to believe that God's benefits are just the same. 
The last thing I want to add in here before we, before we, 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 we come to a conclusion in an altar time, the thing about healing, and some people we get all confused, well, how do we receive healing? How does it work? It works the same way as salvation. The same way. By faith, and you receive it for free. Have you, have you ever known people that it seems like they had to get saved 17 times before they got saved? Uh, that was me. It, it took about 12 years of youth camp moments until finally at one camp I finally, okay. It's, it happens. In the same way. Do you know people that try to have babies and they try and they try and they try and then finally they have a baby? But once they get pregnant, they're not a baby there. They have to grow the baby. Some, sometimes there's salvation growing inside of us before it's ever produced that new birth in us. Healing sometimes works the same way. Sometimes we need prayer and we need prayer and we need prayer before, before we receive the healing. Not that God is slow in bringing it, but sometimes it just takes us a little longer before we get it. Not physically receive it, but get it and trust that he can do it. And so today, in a few moments, we're going to pray, and we're going to believe for healing, and we're going to trust that Jesus is going to do that. But it all starts with engaging God's word, praising him for who he is, remembering that he has forgiven us, believing that he will and can, has the power to heal us. We have to cling to it. It's a divine benefit that we can have, we can claim, and we can live by, amen? You're looking at me like a calf stares at a new gate. Maybe, the, maybe a story will help. There's a street preacher in New York City. One of the relatives of um, the late David Wilkerson. He was preaching on the corner and a bum comes up to him and says, Hey, preacher, give me your Bible. I, I want your Bible. Will you let me have your Bible? He says, Sure. Why do you want it? He said, I want to use the pages to roll my cigarettes with. Will you please give me your Bible? Bob looks at him and says, okay, I'll do it if you'll make me one promise. He said, sure. Tell me what it is. Read the page before you smoke it. You got to preach it. Let me have the Bible. About three months later, clean-shaven, well-dressed, young man comes up to him and says, Bob, you don't remember me, do you, preacher? I don't. Three months ago, you gave me your Bible because I asked you for it so I could use the pages to smoke my cigarettes. He said, oh, look at you. What happened? He said, well, I smoked Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John smoked me. Friends, some of you have been at this, praying for healing, believing that God's going to do it. And for analogy's sake, you're kind of like the bum. You've been smoking Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But eventually, it's going to kick in. Eventually, you're going to take that step of faith, and God's going to do it. I don't know what's keeping him from it. I wish I knew. Because if there was a, a magic thing to do, baby, I would do it so God could bring that healing to you. So that in a moment's notice, it could be restored. I don't know what it is, but I'm believing that today, that today could be your day. 
I'm believing that in a moment's notice, he could raise you up, take you off that walker, off of the oxygen, heal your body. I'm believing that today could be your day, man. I don't know about you, but I'm believing that whatever you need, God can do it today. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I'm not looking for a mousy response. I'm looking for a boisterous war cry. Do you believe it? Come on, let's believe that God can. Come on, every head bowed and every eye closed. Before we pray, let's, let's make sure we've, our hearts are right. Man, are you here today and you need to remember God's forgiveness and his grace and receive that? If you've allowed sin to separate you, would you slip up a hand? All right, anybody else? Okay, all right, okay. Come on, all over the room. I want everybody to repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. I boldly claim that Jesus is my Lord. I confess him with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and now he lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen.